Is that all right now? Not too loud and you can hear me? I, <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I don't know. Some of you are older than I and a lot of you are younger than I, but do you remember a time when we kind of trusted people? We trusted our neighbor. We trusted the shopkeeper. We, we trusted our teachers. We just kind of trusted one another. But it's becoming harder and harder to, to trust people. Uh, there's so many scams going on. It seems uh, you're almost afraid to pick up your telephone or you don't know what scam is coming. Had one just, uh, I think it was last week, they kept calling Pam and telling them that our AT&T service was going to be shut off if we didn't send money immediately. Uh, well, AT&T doesn't usually call. They usually text. But I finally called AT&T and they said, Oh, your bill's up to date. It's not due till August 1st. And I said, well, then it'll be late. But right now it's not late. She said, no, we never call. We text. And she kept getting calls telling them that a judgment was going to be filed against me if I didn't call immediately. And I kept ignoring it. And finally they called me and said, there's a $15,000 judgment against you, and, and we're going to file it next week unless you pay that $15,000. I said, go ahead and file it. My lawyer would love to bill you for all the costs you have in court. And I've never heard another thing from them. Uh, it's, it's, it's discouraging to constantly be bombarded with scams and to turn on the cable news programs and be bombarded with maybe fake news, maybe real news, definitely cited news, one side or the other. And it, when it comes to humanity, it seems we can't get any lower. Uh, maybe even afraid to open our mail because we don't know what somebody has sent us. According to the World Start Computer Tips and Techniques newsletter, which I had never heard of before, but anyway, according to them, another email scam has been making its rounds on the Internet to the wealthy people. And it informs them that the person writing it says, I am a hitman, and I have been paid $150,000 to kill you. If you will send me $150,000 immediately, I won't kill you. Well, I don't know. Most of us here, I think, would probably have to say, I haven't got $150,000, so go ahead and kill me, you know. But somewhere between five and 600 people have paid that money this year to cancel a hit on their lives. Last year, according to World Start Newsletter and verified by the Federal Trade Commission, over $26 million was lost in a variety of scams by Americans last year. And then there's the scam with investment scams, pyramid schemes, Ponzi schemes, healthcare fraud is a growing scam industry. There's moving vans. I had not heard this one yet, but a new scam has started where you hire a moving company to pick up all of your things and move it to your new house. They come and pick up all of your stuff. And no one knows where they move it to, but you never see it again. And then there's the romance scam. I read that, uh, and I don't know where the Federal Trade Commission gets these figures, how they know, but according to them, $304 million were lost on romance scams last year. It's terrible that we can't trust people. Some of you met Jamar. He came one Sunday here with me, and uh, 
I've been trying to help him. And, well, I guess he thinks of me as his father now because he went to Tulsa yesterday or Saturday and he texted me last night and said, is it okay if I stay overnight and go to church here? I said, you're 19 years old. You don't live with me. You could do whatever you want to. But at any rate, he was looking for another car. He's got a job and needed a better car. And we went to a used car dealer and the used car dealer, of course, we all know that they're not always the most honest. But he said to Kamar, uh, Jamar, this car has a 30-day warranty. Absolutely anything that goes wrong with it, you bring it back the first 30 days, we'll fix it. We took it back the next day. And the guy said, oh, well, that only involves the transmission and engine. So I went back with him the next day and said, you stood here and lied to us. You said you'd fix anything. He said, well, you should have known I didn't mean anything. I said, why would we know that? I didn't know that you're a born liar. You told me something, I believed you, and he believed you, and your contract says, he said, well, we'll fix it this time, but it's not good for the whole 30 days. Well, he fixed it, and so, but you can't trust anybody. And losing trust in somebody, I think is probably worse than losing money. It hurts more. The money can be replaced, but when you lose trust in someone, it takes a long time, if ever, to get that trust back again. It hurts when we put our hope in people and they let us down. But the loss of trust is vastly more important when we lose our trust in God. Trust is such a fragile thing. Think about this for just one moment. It is especially painful when we question whether or not we can trust God. It's sort of the same theme, or at least along the same lines that the pastor spoke about this morning. And I had no idea, and in fact, I was working on this sermon for a few weeks down the line when he asked me to preach tonight, so you're getting it early, and not fully developed, but that's all right, because you don't care if we get out early. You're waiting to get out there in the heat and enjoy the nice, cool Oklahoma summer. Yeah, at any rate, many people, even in church, believe in God, but they don't really trust God. And we miss out on the peace and the joy and the hope that is our rightful inheritance when we don't totally trust him. And most people can't pinpoint why they don't totally trust him. It's just, I guess, part of our human nature that hasn't been surrendered yet that we find it hard to trust God. Extreme example, but there is a city in Bolivia that is known for centuries for its rich silver, tin, and zinc mines. Now, mining is a dangerous, unpredictable trade, and many men lose their lives every year in the mines of Potosi, Bolivia. And the result of this danger is that a primitive superstition has taken hold among the miners. The people of Potosi are largely Catholic, but when they descend into the mines, they offer sacrifices to a devil they call Uncle Teal. They believe that Uncle Teal holds the power of life and death underground, so they pray to him and offer him rolled up uh, cocoa leaves or bottles of alcohol or whatever to gain his favor. And one of the miners, the minor, minor boss actually said, outside we believe in God who is our savior. But down in the mines, there we ask the devil for favors, often on our knees. I guess you can say our belief is split into two worlds. 
I thought, how many Christians perhaps could say the same thing? Our faith is split into two worlds. We may have trouble admitting it, but I believe many of us can relate to those minors, not that we worship devils or offer gifts to them, but that we live in two worlds spiritually. We trust God in certain areas of our lives, and we withhold trust in other areas. What causes us to lose trust in God? Well, whether we admit it or not, many people have a faith that's conditional. As long as things are going well in our lives, it's easy to trust. But let life turn against us, and for many of us, our faith proves to be sadly fickle. Uh, Ronald Brown, a professor at the University of Minnesota, contends that there are two categories of trust, whether we're dealing with people or dealing with God. He says these two categories are the ifers and the untillers. Ifers refers to the thought that I will trust you if you live up to my expectations. I will trust you if you are honest all the time with me. I will trust you if you can control your emotions and not upset me. I will trust you if you don't exaggerate. And the untillers refer to the idea that I will trust you until you violate some of my expectations. Might be I will trust you until you lie to me. I will trust you until you talk about me behind my back. I will trust you until you violate one of the criteria on my if list. He goes on to say that every person has their own list of ifs or untils when it comes to establishing or breaking trust. And I think a lot of Christians have that same mindset with God. I will trust him as long as, or I will trust him until, I will trust him if he, and he doesn't always live up to our expectations. And when he doesn't, then we cease to trust him because, well, a little kid might say, I prayed for a puppy for Christmas and I didn't get one, so I can't trust God. I prayed and he didn't answer my prayer without realizing it was mom who said, no, you're not getting a puppy, <laughs> not God. But I think often we, we find people who have that uh, until or if criteria for God. Now, if our if and our until for trusting God depend on our spiritual mat maturity, the more we grow in our spiritual life, the more we're going to trust God. Because the more we trust him, the more we'll grow. And the more we grow, the more we trust him. God, I'll trust you, I heard someone say, or I'll trust God, I'll believe in God, I'll accept Jesus. Had a young man say this to me once. When he speaks to me in a clear, booming voice from heaven, just like he does in the movies. Well, movies aren't real life. And God doesn't usually speak to us in a clear, loud, booming voice. Someone else might say, God, I'll trust you if you'll get my kids off drugs. Someone else might say, God, I'll trust you until my bank account drops below a certain level. God, I'll trust you until something bad happens to a member of my family. Then I can't trust you anymore. I think that usually our ifs and our untils resolve around the struggles and the heartbreaks in our life, and we all have them. 
But we can find that in the one we trust, if we trust, those heartbreaks will only grow, make us grow stronger. I suspect that a presence of suffering is the number one obstacle that hinders our trust in God. Anybody here like to suffer? Raise your hand. Do you like pain? Do you like to be sick? Oh, yeah? Uh, Rachel, your daughter says she likes to suffer. When you get home, can you make sure she feels some pain? Uh, I'm not sure what you want to do. A paddle? Yeah, a paddle would work. Okay, then we'll see if she really likes pain. I think she was joking. <laughs> but I suspect that the presence of suffering is the number one obstacle that hinders our trust in God. We don't like to suffer. As the question was posed this morning, why do good, bad things happen to good people? We don't know. We've never had that answered sufficiently. It just is the way it is. I've as I told you, I Uber on Saturdays, and this, this last week it was most interesting. I picked up four or five different people who said, I've never Ubered before. But last week, whatever day, somebody ran a red light and broadsided my car, and so I'm without a car till the insurance company replaces it. And one of them said, I always put my granddaughter in the back seat on the right side so I can just kind of see her out of the corner of my eye as she sits in her car seat. But for some reason, that morning, I put her on the left side of the car. She said, I've never put her on the left side directly behind me because then I can't see her. But that car smashed into the right side of my car and pushed the back door clear over the back seat. If she'd been sitting there, no doubt she would have been killed. And I said, well, you can praise God for that. And she said, yes. I really can. So sometimes good things happen to good people. But we tend to forget those and concentrate on the bad things. A man named Robert Davies from uh, Australia wrote an article a few years ago about how an unexpected tragedy caused him to turn away from God. He says that before he became a Christian, he and his wife were alcoholics and workaholics. When they weren't working, they were drinking. When they weren't drinking, they were working, and their whole life revolved around gathering things, mostly money. His drinking got to be so bad that the courts ordered him into rehab, after rehab, after rehab. And one night when he and his wife were walking down the street, they heard music coming from this little storefront building and they wondered what it was, thinking it was maybe another bar. They went inside and found it was, happened to be a Salvation Army service. And they both knelt at the altar that night and gave their lives to Jesus. So they got up from that altar and didn't touch a drink again until a year later when his wife was killed in an automobile accident leaving him with two young girls. And he said, immediately I said, God, I gave my life to you and I trusted you and you did this terrible thing to me. I can't trust you anymore. I'm going back to my old way of life. Nothing bad happened to me then. And he said, I started drinking again. And one night in the bar, I met a lady and a few months later we were married and we drank together. My children were taken away from me because my new wife and I were drinking so much that we were terrible parents. After a couple of years, this wife divorced him and he said, I gave up on life. 
I blamed God for all of my heartache. How could I possibly trust someone who would let me suffer like this? And I shook my fist to the heavens and said, I hate you, God. I hate you for what you have done to me. I think a lot of people have been in that situation. We believe that God is the measure of all that is good and loving. We believe that God is all-powerful. So why doesn't an all-powerful and loving God just end our suffering? Well, Paul addresses that very question in the scripture that we're going to look at now in Romans chapter 5. Just the first five verses. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope, it does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. How does our faith in Jesus affect our ability to deal with the challenges of our new life? Paul says we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character. And we all know there are some real characters out here. Aren't, no, I mean, you all have character because perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God has poured out his love out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is why Paul could trust the goodness and the power of God even in his suffering. God's blessings aren't just reserved for eternal life. You know, often I think we, we forget the fact that eternal, does, eternal life does not begin when our body dies. Eternal life begins when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then it just continues. Scripture tells us that Enoch walked with God and was not. What happened? He just passed from this life into the next. I've got to tell you a story about that verse. I just remember when I was a student at, at, in the seminary, they were having a special rally of some sort, and they selected two of us to each preach half a sermon. The young lady was to preach on Enoch walked with God. And I was assigned to preach for 10 minutes on and was not. I, I just had a real hard time coming up with much of a sermon topic on those words, and was not. I, I muddled through somehow, but I'm sure it was not very good. But at any rate, Enoch walked with God and was not, and that's what happens to us. We walk with God and we just pass into the next life. Paul trusted in that. And he tells us that we can make it through every struggle and every heartbreak and every challenge. Because as Pam and I sang this morning, we are not alone. We have the strength and the love of Jesus empowering us to persevere. <clears throat> and when we persevere, we grow in the likeness of Jesus. And as we grow more like Jesus, we grow more in hope. And we can put our full trust in the hope of Jesus. He will never scam us. He will never deceive us. He will never violate our trust. 
And that brings us back to the story of Rob Davis. One morning he said he hit rock bottom. He thought of killing himself and then he thought, but my wife became a Christian. And when she died, she was a Christian. So she's in heaven. If I kill myself, I'll never see her again. He said, with that thought, I got down on my knees and begged Jesus to forgive me. I said, Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I choose you, Lord. And he said, Jesus answered my prayer. And since that day in April 2018, I've never touched a drop of alcohol. I've stopped working for money and started working for the Lord. He's healed my hurt and my anger, and I found the peace I'd been searching for ever since the day my wife died. He goes on to write, Today my life is the opposite of what it used to be. God has given me peace, joy, happiness, and an overwhelming desire to live, give, and share how the love of Jesus changes lives. I have that strong feeling of excitement that I first had when I met Jesus because I know that Jesus is living in me now and there is no turning back. Isn't that great news? Jesus does save. He does forgive. And he does help us to persevere. And that brings me back to the central message of these verses. It's through our suffering that we truly understand the love and the hope of God. Suffering, if it does not turn us away from God, leads us closer to him. And perseverance leads us to character, and character results in hope. And what is hope? That hope is that God, who loves us so abundantly, will, as Romans 8.28 reminds us, work all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Pastor David Platt tells of a woman who, who lost a child to a congenital, congenital heart disease. And she related to him that when her second child was born with the same disease and was told again that she had to have heart surgery, she sat in the waiting room as this tiny baby was having very serious heart surgery and remembered that the first daughter had died during that surgery. She said, my heart was breaking. The pain was unbearable. The suffering was just something I can never explain to think I was going to lose my second daughter. She said, and then someone came in who just put her hand on my shoulder and said, I'm praying for you and your daughter. Just trust in God. So I looked at her and said, I trusted him with my last daughter, and she died. And the woman said, yes, but she's still alive. She's in the arms of Jesus. She said, and I was reminded then that, yes, I lost my daughter to this life, but if I trust, I will see her in the next life. She said, I got down on my knees, and I said to Jesus, my daughter's life is in your hands. I trust to do you to do what is best for her. She said, an hour or so later, the doctor came out and said, the surgery was totally successful. Your daughter should live to a ripe old age. She said, my trust was restored. 
I had doubted. But God sent someone to me to remind me to trust. And I did. And she writes in that little article she was writing, this is the essence of eternal life, knowing God as he truly is. And she goes on to say, however, I'm afraid we often are guilty of seeing God as we want him to be. That, that was a good statement. I think maybe that is true of all of us. Instead of knowing God as he truly is, we see him as we want him to be. And that's not who he is. He is who he is. She says that the only way she survived that painful time was because she realized she was not suffering alone. But it was Christ living in her by the power of the Holy Spirit that made her weakness into strength. That allowed her to persevere and find the hope that is only alive in Jesus. It's only in our suffering that God's power is made perfect in weakness. We can never understand the nature of God. We can never understand the power of God. And I think it's probably true that we can never truly trust the promises of God until we have endured the suffering and persevered and gained the hope. We need to understand God as he really is. We need a hope that never fails and a love that never gives up. These things are found in trusting our life entirely to Jesus as our Lord and Savior and persevering through life's hardships by the power of the Holy Spirit. And according to the vision and the promise found in these verses that Paul has written to us, one day the glory of God that we once hoped for will become the reality in which we live. The glory that we hope for will become the reality in which we live. Would you stand together? Father, this evening I recognize that all of us at some time in our lives either have suffered or are going to. We're going to have hardships or we've already lived through them. And Lord, whether it's past, present, or future, we know that trust in you makes all the difference. And I just pray tonight, Lord, that you will help all of us to leave here determined in our hearts that we will trust and not be afraid. That we will recognize that we are in your hands and that nothing can befall us that you don't know about and that you can't take care of. Go with us now, Lord, and help us to live for you, to praise you, to trust you, and to share that faith with everyone we meet. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.